disciples were not in Esther, by the way. That was in, you know. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I'd like to read through uh, verse 26 to chapter 2, verse 3. And I will open with prayer here. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your word to reflect upon it and what it should mean and does mean to us. Open our eyes that we might see you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis 1 26 through chapter 2, verse 3. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You may be seated. So uh, what, is, what is work? In verse 2 there, right, Genesis, of Genesis 2, it says God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Then in verse 3, we're told he blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It's, it's right before that that God commissioned our work. Where Moses writes in verse 28 of the first chapter, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's work was creating everything, and he gave us the work of bringing it under control, of managing it, caring for it, producing new things from it, 
tending it together. In our daily work, we serve God and mankind. We pursue different types of work, but each of us must still do it. No one is exempt, and no age are you exempt. So what is work? I concocted a little definition for work. I would suggest, first, it involves all things God wants us to think and do. It involves all things God wants us to think and to do. And secondly, they must be things that serve to accomplish his purposes for creation. Because creation belongs to God. Work constructs with upright materials according to righteousness. But work must often destruct or dismantle things that have corrupted and corroded creation by sin. Therefore, I would call sinful thinking and sinful doing non-work or deeds of the flesh. Work takes effort. We must plan for it. We need, we need God's strength and wisdom to perform it well. It takes education. We build upon what we learn. We invent. So, as Scripture warns, you mustn't be lazy or slothful or slovenly or foolish. But diligent, persistent, dutiful, and wise. Some work is physically difficult, uncomfortable, tiring. Other work is mentally taxing, intense, again, tiring. All work requires an appropriate amount of rest. God saw to that, even before sin and toil and death entered the world and became an obstacle to work, we know that rest was required because of the seventh day. When God rested and set it aside for us too, we also know rest is necessary daily because God gave us sleep. Sleep didn't originate with the fall. God caused Adam to sleep before Eve was made. It's how he has designed us. Try, try defeating that. We need to be wound up like an old-style watch every night to be able to run the next day. 
Moving on. Must you like your work? Must you like it? I think that is appropriate. I think you should learn to like your work, is how I should say it. But maybe we should use a different word than like. Another word, satisfied. Are you satisfied with your work? Do you appreciate your work? I think we should. I am satisfied by what God has given to me to do in the earth. We should be able to say that at any point in our history. And that's difficult. I appreciate that he has made me to take dominion in this way right now. You should not despise your work. That is not proper. That is not a proper attitude toward it or toward God. Sometimes we try to get out of work to avoid it as if it were almost poisonous. I always think of the uh, Irish pub owner in the movie Return to Me. It was a part played by Carol O'Connor. You should watch it sometime, just for this line. He says at one point, I'm blessed by my work. I'm blessed by my work. Now that's a proper mindset. Of course, this doesn't mean that a baker has to remain a baker for the rest of his life. Twelve years from now, the baker might be a barber. But whether a baker or a barber, the man should pour himself into his work for the glory of God. God wants it done. And if God has sovereignly made him a baker at first, then he should become the best baker he can be. He should study baking. He should learn the best way to use the ingredients and figure out the temperatures and follow recipes. He will need to get up pretty early in the morning to do this work. His 12 years of committed bakery might mean he has his own shop. Ben bends bread and baked goods. People drive out of their way to buy his rolls, buns, and bagels. They love the taste of his work. Often God places us into positions, jobs, experiences to mold us, just to mold us for his use. He has a, a deep calling, a deep calling in mind. You should think of yourself as beginning like an unsharpened pencil. And as life goes on, God determines to bring you closer and closer and make a sharp point. 
We should see it that way, calling. I worked weekends as a boy at the Jackson Motel, Jackson, Wisconsin. I made beds, dusted, mopped, dust mopped floors, dusted furniture, vacuumed. Did I pursue excellence in my work? Not so much. Not like my brother Mitch. My brother Mitch, he was a go-getter. What he did expertly in a matter of two hours, I would do semi-okay in a matter of four and a half hours. I admit, the thought of doing all things for the glory of God did not enter my mind. Though Paul tells us in Colossians 3, verses 22 through 24, bondservants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward You are serving the Lord Christ. I didn't think about that. I should have. We all should. So the baker should bake heartily as for the Lord and not for men. However, 12 years as a baker... It doesn't prevent Ben from dreaming of haircutting. Haircutting. God has gifted us in many ways to accomplish many things. Why couldn't Ben think and, and learn about hair while simultaneously mastering baking? As long as he somehow doesn't get hair mixed up in his baking, I think that's a good thing. Indeed, his work as a baker might be part of his training for a future barbershop. His work as a baker might put him in touch with customers who who know a thing or two about the hairstyling industry. Or it might prepare him financially to pay his bills while the kids grow up to build up some wealth, to take a stab at buying chairs and clippers and even one of those barbershop poles. His baking might afford, afford him time to take classes. I worked about 12 years as a salesman for a lock company called Best Lock. It was my It was not my first choice as a career. I was first a teacher for five years in a Christian elementary school. That's what I went to college for. And the reason I decided to leave Christian education, for elementary schools at least, was because first, our firstborn, Zach, had come of age, and we felt that Homeschooling would provide a superior education for, for him and our other children. 
And then secondly, my heart's desire was really to, to somehow teach theology to grown-ups, or older people at least. So I left the elementary school and I became something else. I became a salesman for Bass Lock. And I, I, I learned to really like that too. Over the years, I learned about the sales process. I learned how to sell appropriately. To try and honor God with how you went about that business. I was not always proper. At times, my sin and ignorance got in the way. And some, sometimes they still get in the way. Though all in all, I liked my work. I traveled often as a salesman. It was car travel. And when I did, I listened to books on cassette tape. Or I, I sometimes propped a book or article on the steering wheel as I drove. Only in safe situations. Lydia was getting on me the other day for trying to text something while I was driving in the car, and they're all giving me a hard time, Tracy, Abby, and Lydia, and I'm thinking, this is kids' play. Younger children, those just getting your license and so on, that's bad advice. Don't do it. Leave it to the experts. But I was, I was consuming this stuff as I was a salesman, as I was driving. And what I'm trying to say is that you can do your work as unto the Lord in some job or position for many years, maybe all of your life. But that doesn't mean something else isn't going on as well. We are not God. We cannot see beyond the horizon. We're mere men. Also, this six days of labor thing, you have to factor in that dominion work includes many things God has assigned to us. It's not simply the labor you trade for money. That's not all that matters. It's important. However, it is also important to care for the non-employer things over which God has made you his steward. A home, perhaps. A spouse, maybe. Children, garden, relationships, etc. There are diapers to be changed, meals to be served, clothes to be washed, Lawns to be mowed, mowed, bills to be paid, children to be taught. There is household work, church work, even work you do as a member of a club or society if you got the time for something additional. There is political involvement, theological study. These things, too, God wants us to think and to do. To labor constructively, we must work at them. We cannot neglect our homes, 
our churches and community in the name of working so hard at my job. And we certainly should not neglect them in the name of play and leisure. Your priorities must be sober ones. Producing excellence in your work might mean you miss some children's baseball games. (gasps) Please. It may require you to reschedule that date night with your wife. Or perhaps you will pay someone to mow your lawn or clean your house. It it might mean, however, wrapping up your paperwork so you can make that ball game. You get what I mean. Ask yourself with prayerful sincerity, what is God doing in me and through me that appears most important for his kingdom's purposes in this period of life. I'd like to hover long, but a little while, over the concept of one's calling here. Some of you have not perhaps heard that concept explained, but I'm going to take a quick pass at it. Because the important thing I want you to take away is you labor six days and you don't labor on that one. Okay? Take that away. But this idea of our work and our calling, before I get there, I also suggest as we think about working six days and resting on the one, that you consider the idea of a 12-hour day. A 12-hour day for labor, right? Not necessarily where you get paid. 12-hour day of doing these things I'm discussing. The other 12 can be mixed a little bit more with sleep and and leisure. So what is the concept of a person's calling? Calling is a biblical concept developed mostly by Protestant Christianity. Martin Luther is one who's given a lot of credit for it gaining ground. Because he recognized, Luther did, that every man, woman, and child exists to glorify God by their work. It's not just priests who are called, monks and missionaries who receive a call but also the cobbler, the candlestick maker, the mother, and the farmer. In short, it could be defined as the specific role God has made for you to play with your life upon the earth. It's your purpose as an individual walking with God. But I think it goes beyond professions here. To the person himself. Why? Let me get to that. 
we find movies like Star Wars, right? If you've not seen Star Wars, bear with me, as you probably have to bear with many movie and TV references I make. Luke Skywalker was specially designed to fulfill a destiny. His young life was under preparation for it. This aura of destiny, that kind of like captures our imagination. We think that's cool. We, we want that. We dream about ourselves fulfilling our own. And we don't often know why, because this concept is neglected. This concept of calling. We're part of a culture now that is kind of, because they've cut off God and much of their thinking, self-fulfillment becomes the label for it. Self-fulfillment. But not God's created purpose for the person. And that makes life futile. As a Christian, you want to believe God has some ultimate purpose for which he especially made you. And I think we do have our purpose. However, I, I don't think it awaits the future only. You've got to be careful there. Don't always be in information state. That's not how this works. Oh, he's preparing me for something big, but right now I'm just kind of going about my business. I think calling is progressively present in us as we live. We start as special, and God forms us through our work, our relationships, our trials and education, he sharpens the pencil. Your calling is you. It's your fingerprint. Dr. Gary North develops his own definition. He says it this way. And think about this. Calling is the most important work a person can do in which he would be most difficult to replace. Hmm. I've tried to wrap my head around that many times. Let's apply it to what I've been saying about Ben the Baker. Is his calling to make bread, buns, and bagels? He, he might enjoy the work, but what is it he enjoys? He might excel at it, but what is in him that is different than is in the person at the bakery in the next town? Using Gary North's definition, I wonder, could Ben, could ben the barber become more important and difficult to replace than Ben the baker. In other words, does the trade or the occupation matter? 
as long as Ben is being Ben. Some things we must chalk up to the secret counsels of God. Other things, we can kind of watch and wonder what he will do next with us. The bottom line is this. We are to obey his commands. That's all you know for sure. You are to obey his commands because you love him. Oz Guinness wrote a book called The Call. And in it he writes, Somehow we human beings are never happier than we are expressing the deep, deepest gifts that are truly us. And often we get a revealing glimpse of these gifts early in life. God normally calls us along the lines of our giftedness, but the purpose of giftedness is stewardship and service and not selfishness. Giftedness Guinness continues, giftedness does not stand alone in helping us discern our callings. It lines up in response to God's call alongside other factors, such as family heritage, our own life opportunities, God's guidance, and our unquestioning readiness to do what he shows. But to focus on giftedness as a central way to discern calling reverses the way most people think. In other words, he's saying, it's a good way to think. Most people don't. What Guinness calls focusing on giftedness, the business world has decided to call it maximizing strength or playing to one's strengths. The business world doesn't often use God language, does it? Just like much of our society. Words like calling, giftedness, and stewardship are words ripened by the Christian religion. Can't have that. Back to the command, God made you to labor six days of seven, and he has commanded you not to labor on that one day. This you know for sure. This you know for sure. That every person has been especially called by God to be one, sorry, to be and to become progressively the man, woman, or child God intends is true, but it's difficult to ascertain. What is my calling? It's hard to discover. It's in, very incremental. And sometimes you feel like you're in a place and you're doing work that has nothing to do with who you are. It's not the case. What I suggest you do is you basically need to play along. You need to play along and learn the game. And then it will begin to make sense. Here are two rules to play this game of discovering what God wants me to do and who he wants me to be. The first rule, first rule is this. 
obey God in all his commands. Second rule, trust him in his providence. The sum, put those two together, the sum is found when you do both of those things and you become what God intended for you to become. All of a sudden, you become progressively more useful, don't you? And you learn your place in creation. So let me repeat my definition of labor or work. It's by our work we, we rule over creation, the work of his hands. God wants you to think and to do six days of labor. Your work should be to construct with upright materials according to righteousness. And your work must destruct or dismantle things that have corrupted and corroded his creation by sin. Remember, sinful thinking and sinful doing are non-work or deeds of the flesh. They ruin creation. And that seventh day, that day in which we rest, is a day we rest in God and express our affections to him. It's a day according to Leviticus 23.3, which is a very important verse when you consider the Lord's day and Sabbath keeping. Leviticus 23.3 speaks of solemn rest. It uses the word solemn rest. Solemn means sober rest, serious rest. It also is a day in which we are to hold, according to that verse, a holy convocation. A convocation is a gathering. It's an assembly. According to Leviticus 23.3, it's not only the rest, but it's the holy convocation. Can you really be worshiping? Can you really be obeying that command if you don't gather in a holy assembly on the Lord's day? And that you work, you do your dominion tasks on that day? I don't think so. Well, yeah, but what about, what about the, the fire, fire person's got to put out the fire? Uh, what about, what about how, do we, how do we take care of our animals if we're really not supposed to take care of our... We come up with all these exceptions, which are legitimate questions, right? And... and, and Christianity has provided answers or direction in your thinking that way. Yes, works of mercy and of, what was the other one? Anybody know? What's that? Works of mercy and, I I didn't quite hear you, Paul. Yeah, works of mercy and something else are legitimate exceptions on the Lord's day. You find a An ox in a pit, you're going to help that ox out of the pit on the Lord's day because it's life that you're saving. But we take these exceptions and we get rid of the day, don't we? We take these exceptions and we go off and play and let other people serve us. Other people do their work for us. Or we just go to work, but what? Because we can get double time or time and a half? Wow, better take advantage of that. 
wrong. On the seventh day, we rest just as God rested. It's the day we set aside and also gather in, with God's people for worship. It's, it's not a day for you to work at your dominion tasks. It's not a day for you to employ others to work either. Repent, O oh business owner. It astonishes me now that we've gotten to the point in the name of whatever, we're just standard practice for hospitals is to, to make appointments for people to come in on Sunday. Nothing urgent about it. There's no emergency going on. They just are willing to do that. And we people dutifully go, well, if the hospital says it, I better go do it. You might think, wait, God gave the fourth commandment through Moses to the Hebrew people. But it's apparent from today's text that God's law has ancient roots, right? Roots that reach deeper than merely Abraham's descendants. They extend right back to Adam and Eve in the garden. And so I've written a paper, I wrote a paper a while ago. And I said, uh, and so from the beginning of time, mankind has experienced this warp and weave of a seven-day week. It's always been. No culture or kingly dynasty has been able to discard it. It's seven. Even the French revolutionaries who were hostile to God and the church could not redefine the pattern of a week successfully, and they tried to, to change it from seven days to ten days. That was going to be their week. I don't know if they still call it a week at that point, but that's going to be their week. They tried, they wanted a secular calendar in place of a Christian one. They designed their week differently than God. It would require nine days of labor and one day of rest. But their imposition of this 10-day week lasted for only about nine years. They reverted back to join the rest of humanity. And... um, Napoleon Bonaparte came in and he ruled for a while and they'd be taking over this nation or causing that country to submit to the French. And it was so frustrating for him to try to get them to implement the 10-day week that he just gave up. Even with his own people, the, the French, it was difficult for him to get them to comply. To Napoleon, it didn't matter that much. It's as Rush Dooney, R.J. Rush Dooney wrote in his book, Revolt Against Maturity. The humanistic dream of paradise is inescapably coercive because it requires a humanity to exist in that dreamed of order which has little relationship to existing man. Since Man is God's creature, 
not man's. Man is simply incapable of becoming the new model man of the humanistic dream. However much he is educated, however much he is brainwashed, coerced, and threatened, he remains God's creature still. Yeah, I know. How'd that get tacked on to the end? I cannot tell you why I made beds in a motel when I was a junior high and high schooler. I don't know why I was a child of Bruce, Bruce and Leola Gap, born in 1963. I'm uncertain why I was raised in a seemingly nominal Lutheran church and only began to follow Christ when I went to college. I don't know why certain friends became close and others did not. But somehow I do know that God used each of these things to, to sharpen my pencil. As I understand it, he even uses sin to sharpen my pencil, my own sin. Certainly I made decisions along the way, we all do. But what was... And is God's plan for me? It took a decade here, a decade there, a marriage and children and history to lead me here. I've been discipled by men, and I've discipled some too. I think I'm getting a feel of what I'm good at and what God has for me. But we'll see. Let's pray.